Welcome to Benevolent Business, the podcast exploring how to build a business that positively impacts the environment, the community, employees, and much more. Discussing with business leaders and founders, their journeys, and what we can all learn from their unique experiences. Brought to you by your host, Hayden Bloomfield, and producer, David Proud. This is my voice. (laughs) This week, we're joined by Pip Lawrence of Wellbeing People. And before we speak to her... I understand that Richard was part of the Kent Foundation, and so is Pip, and so are you. And this is something I don't know anything about, so can you tell us a little bit what the Kent Foundation is? I can. So the Kent Foundation, I don't know an awful lot about it, but... well, I'm You're a part, part of it. Of it. <laughs> I'm a part of it. So it's set up, they get the foundation, they receive funding. One of their biggest funders is Kent County Council, so the whole premise is around offering support to business owners, or young business owners, so it's the biggest service they have is uh mentoring so you for example i'm part of it so i have a mentor where we meet once a month over like online virtually obviously with this world so it's just a case of catching up with them on a monthly basis going through building your business the challenges you're having and experiencing and then in a well they do a lot of like events virtually now but then the way i was introduced to it was Back before the pandemic, they had a live event on that was in my local town in Gravesend. And so it was just a case of uh, for people interested in business, for business owners to go along to and they had speakers. So it was people from the foundation speaking about how they'd started out in business and then their experience through the Kent Foundation and how as a result, or rather years later, they've built up their business respectively to a success. And so when I went there, was a lady... I can't remember her name now. Um, I follow on Instagram, but she she started off on market stalls, selling clothes, like making clothes from recycled materials, and then got to a point where she'd built up her her business, and she had other people on the stalls running them for herself, for her, and then she'd moved on and was doing other aspects of the business. So that was quite interesting. And then, funny enough, Pip was at that event and was speaking at the event that I went to, and that's exactly how I met Pip. Uh, we I was talking to her at the event, and then from there uh, got to know a little bit more, and then obviously like linked up on socials and here we are at the podcast where I got in touch with her again. So what's the age limit for Kent Foundation? I think it's up to 30. <sighs> so you're out of luck, Dave. You're too Missed old. Four years. <laughs> okay, so it's it's basically giving young people support to, to, to encourage entrepreneurship, really. Yeah, exactly. So it's, from my understanding, the concentration is more on those that have a business that have started. So there's different. Well, there's the mentoring. There's the different webinars and set. Well, and when we go back to a normal world, hopefully, there's seminars and live events you can attend, and it's all around supporting those that are in business. But yeah, there's still there's still aspects that are there to help those that want to start a business and just sort of need the guidance and ideas to get them going. Do they help with funding and stuff like that? Do you know what? This is what I've been chasing them for. I said, have they got access to grants and such or platforms that they work work with or even loans? Uh, not at the moment. Okay. But if I'm incorrect in that, someone correct me because that'd be great to know. We'll tag Kent Foundation in a post and then they go, you got it all wrong, Hayden. <laughs> this is what we actually do. Well, yeah, I don't know. If there, if there is funding, that's great then and I, I'll be applying for it. Yeah. So do they do they have any sort of like benevolent arm to them at all or is it literally just like mentorship and advice? No, but that's a good idea. But the yeah, it's all just around the whole pros- the whole perspective of supporting those in in business and to be fair they 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 will help out in any way they can. So for example, I've got my mentor and one idea I sort of was exploring was the idea of buying other businesses or just gradually building up your company by buying smaller companies and just mm. adding them to your, bringing them in, onboarding them and taking them over. So I reached out to people in the Kent Foundation and just said, is there a mentor that's experienced that or has bought and mm. sold companies over the years? And they were able to put me in touch with one of the mentors. So I had a one-to-one with them and just went through my ideas and discussed their experiences, how they'd done it over the years, the pros and cons of buying and selling businesses and what the process is. So that was really helpful. Made me realize I probably don't want to do it. <laughs> maybe, maybe one day, but... So yeah, I mean, I, I guess that just the the idea of the foundation is benevolent because it's it's people giving up their time to help other people. Well, yeah, exactly. It is Yeah, quintessential when you think about it is 
benevolence in practice because these mentors are just they're successful people that may be retired or maybe at the end of their career where they've had their success and they're sort of slowing down and calming down a bit I guess you could say so they are exactly they're giving up their time to help others and to inspire them motivate them guide them help them avoid mistakes and put them on the right path hmm. that's something I'm going to look into going forward so don't, I feel like I'm not successful enough yet to uh, to offer a mentorship but you know 10 years time that could be I'd love to do something like that so hmm. let's uh, let's hear from Pip and then after we can talk about what we learned from her experiences Pip good morning good afternoon welcome to Benevolent Business hello thanks for having me thanks for inviting me on that's my pleasure. So to get things kicked off, can you just give us a quick 30 second introduction into what Wellbeing People is? Yeah, sure. So Wellbeing People work with other organisations, um, usually kind of um, larger organisations to help them with their wellbeing strategy for their employees. So we have, we call it the three E's. So it's we engage um, the, the leadership team, first of all, then we educate them around like wellbeing habits, and then we empower them to then put that into their culture. And then effectively, it works like a corkscrew because then we engage the employees, educate the employees empower the employees and it just keeps on going around in a circle of tears but one thing i want to get into as well at the start is so obviously in benevolent business we talk about business owners business leaders but your your journey is slightly different so you didn't you weren't a founder of well-being people you started out on your own as day one wellness and yeah. then as a sole trader and then Talk us through the journey of how you went from yourself as a sole trader into being part of Wellbeing People. Yeah, definitely. So um, I started Day One Wellness as, I guess it was, you know, like many entrepreneurs start where it was like they were frustrated. I was frustrated in my current job. Um, so I was working at the time on a childhood obesity program for Public Health England. And um, and I worked alongside psychologists and dietitians. But my background before that had come from like private uh, like personal training so it was like private gyms and things and it was just these these two worlds where it was like the private gyms are amazing at marketing they get loads of people through the door getting gym memberships and things but never really help people make sustainable change so it's that constant like yo-yo dieting fitness for holiday but then stopping and things um, or burning out you know all of those sorts of things and then on the public health side like the programs we were writing were incredible like the, the people I worked with were amazing but the marketing was awful so although the programs were free a lot of the time we wouldn't have anyone sitting in front of us and it was then so frustrating because obviously you know any entrepreneur or any person like the whole reason for them getting up in the morning is because generally they want to solve a problem help someone and so I just found it really frustrating that I was like you know I've got this passion that I that I know about that I love um, and I'm not being able to get it out to the people who kind of need it and so that was where day one wellness started it was almost a, a go okay well can I as my limited business knowledge can I try to pull together the marketing skills of that I knew from private fitness and the the real integrity and credibility and sustainable change of public health and put together a business where then it was like aspirational but also really found like really really focused on sustainable change and well-being as opposed to fitness which which are two very very separate things from there what what kind of happened into how i got to well-being people was that the md of well-being people came on my program that i was running for day one wellness so i actually trained him and at the time it was just as like a collaboration thing we'd been talking and i said well the best way for you to experience the program is to to come and do it so why don't you like invest in yourself and you know lead by example and to my surprise he said okay cool let's do it and um, so I started training him and to his surprise because obviously he works for a well-being company he's the managing director of a well-being company he already was like you know I'm quite well especially for my age all of this sort of thing um, and he was very surprised on how quickly his mental health like improved how much more alert he seemed to be, how much more resilient he became throughout the 12 weeks of the programme. And um, and so then we started having conversations because at that time, wellbeing people were known for just the first day. They were known for how like doing amazing work, engaging people around wellbeing conversations, around getting them to have those light bulb moments. Because we all know that you know we don't change anything unless we're aware of it. So so they were amazing at that. 
And what they really wanted was, well, when someone's got that light bulb moment and, you know, that's when they're ready to change, they didn't have anything to then refer them into. So that's where the conversation started. And we decided, actually, if we combined our, our you know, two specialist things, um, then we would be able to empower even more people. And because that was a joint goal and we had very joint uh, values as well, then for me, it was like a no brainer. Like I was like, well, I'd much rather merge with this company and be able to to impact more lives than than keep it to myself and uh, and try and struggle on on my own so you your journey in starting day one wellness you weren't coming from a background of business was also for you was it just a case of starting a business and it's like step one google what is a business kind of thing? <laughs> yeah absolutely and even now like i joke with with my md like a business partner that like i was a personal trainer and a well-being coach that fell into business and he he's a businessman that fell into well-being and, and so we complement each other really yeah. really nicely so so yeah but absolutely i mean i was making it up as i was going along i was and it was really the kent foundation which is obviously where we mm. connected that that helped me on my first couple of steps to understanding okay like some of the real basics and i mean like finances was my thing that i just kept avoiding and putting my head in the ground and being like i don't really know what a cash flow is or profit and loss or all of these sorts of things and you know it's, i think whenever you step into any new environment it can feel quite intimidating to ask you know even accountants well what do you mean by that when it's like you know that it's probably something very simple for them but f- but for me it's like the same as when people ask me and i can see that they're nervous to ask me like what's a carbohydrate or you know what i mean it's a, it's those things that we're we're not taught them in school so we shouldn't presume that we that we know it but we do have that and uh, and i think really the big breakthroughs for me in business was when i just dropped all of that and i was like you know what I'm going to ask as many questions as possible. I don't care if I look silly. I'm just going to go, well, you know, I don't know that. So can you tell me the answer? And, you know, if people didn't tell me the answer, then I was like, well, you're probably someone I don't want to be around. And if they exactly. did, then I was like, great, this is someone who's going to help me. I know. I definitely think that's a great philosophy to have. Like there's no, well, what's the phrase? There's no such thing as a stupid question. Like even if you, if you have a genuine desire to have the answer, ask the question. It doesn't matter if it's... Yeah. Even if it's what's one plus one, just get the answer and then you go from there, build it up. Yeah, definitely. And jumping into business, I did the same thing as you, just had, well, mine was a case of like, I couldn't find a job really and I needed to do something. And I just started doing work on my own back and I suddenly was like, oh, that's kind of a business, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and just sort of, then you go on, this, as, as you said yourself, like go on this journey of just like P&L, what's that? Yeah. But, so what what was that sort of time scale? Because as you said, like we met through the Kemp Foundation. so. Obviously, you'd go on this journey, starting off as day one on your own, and then through one of your clients, you then joined this actual, like an actual company. So, because hearing your story, when you spoke, I was just, there was almost this element of like jealousy where I'm thinking, I've had so many challenges as a sole trader and just all these different things where I'm thinking, I'm doing this all on my own. I'm trying yeah. to bring on staff and just like, oh, there's this nightmare, this nightmare, this problem, that problem. I love the idea of having that opportunity where I can be bought out or buy in or however it works. So what was that journey and how long were you at day, were you as day one before you then merged and what was that sort of process, I guess? And how did someone, oh, there's too many questions here, now, but how did someone that, as you said, you're a sole trader, not a lot of experience in business. How did you know this was a good deal and you weren't being conned, I guess? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so I'll try and answer all of them, but that was a lot of questions. (laughs) But so um, I guess the first one, the timescale, it was around about five years. Um, I can definitely empathise with where you said said, there was like an element of jealousy because I think it's funny, isn't it? It's that whole thing of like front of house looks great, but back office, we don't let anyone see, but that's where we're pulling our hair out. And it's like, I try to share as much of like my back office stories as possible because I think when you put things up on social media and my friend, like even some of my closest friends were like, Pip, you've made this look so easy. You've started this business. And I'm like, you've not seen the tears that I've shared, the loan I had to take out one Christmas to buy Christmas presents because I'd really got my finances into an awful place cash flow wise. Like, like there's lots of, definitely I've had huge struggles along the way working things out. And and even as well, I think um, trying to work out the, the relationships. I know myself, 
myself and my other half we often said that day one was like the third wheel in our relationship so even the dynamics of like when you're a sole trader or an entrepreneur and and the dynamics like of relationships and friends and all of those sorts of things there's an there's an awful lot going on and I think when my friends have always said oh it looks so easy I'm like yeah don't be fooled <laughs> that was not an easy journey at all that was um a lot on a lot of uh, of stress along the way but I think the the other questions you said it, it was really driven by passion like I, I've always had this passion and I guess I've always had this um this almost guiding star where I've been like okay as long as I'm empowering as many people as possible like with their well-being and I genuinely do not care if I'm if I'm booked for a keynote and there's only one person that turns up into that into that theatre I'm like great I've got this one person that hopefully I can really help this one person so I'm really happy if I'm helping one person and it's like I feel privileged whenever I get to to help more so throughout lockdown for example we had this lovely initiative where um, our team were talking to a pension fund and it was actually a pension fund they bought a webinar series and so every single Thursday um, I jumped on at 10 o'clock in the morning this is lockdown one to deliver this webinar series and it was to I think we were getting around about 300 pensioners were signing on every single week and I think the recordings went through the roof after that as well and it's things like that that I'm like just incredible anyway that was a bit of a side note because I'm, I know that one of your other questions was just remind me again I don't think Hayden can remember I can't remember like, <laughs> I just yeah so it I was should have the, taken notes because there was too many <laughs> uh, yeah merging or being brought out how do you know you wasn't being conned as such yeah definitely so I guess in those five years like I said I've always had this kind of guiding principle where I've been like okay as long as I'm help empowering as many people as possible but my other almost like sideline project Project was always as well to um, to really um, create sustainable jobs for the personal training industry because my journey came through where it was like I loved personal training but I hated the way that the industry was set up because it it um, doesn't support sustainability both for um, people's well-being goals but equally for the personal trainer themselves I, and especially as a woman I was like god personal training is a nightmare because if I want to get pregnant and have a child I'm going to lose all of my clients to then have to build them all back up again if I want another child then it's, I'm going to have to lose them again and so I was just like I've got to find another way to make a sustainable income and equally I don't want to work weekends and evenings and all these horrible hours like I wanted to have a bit more structure in my life and so the merger really came around and the conversations came around um, after obviously uh, Ben had gone through the program and then we probably had those conversations I reckon for I reckon we must have covered almost every quarter of of Kent because we would go on these really long walks because I was just like I don't want to sit in board meetings let's just go on walks and and discuss this so we would go on these really really long walks and and I would talk about things that I was nervous about kind of like merging with the company Um, I got lots of uh, advice and, and support from the Kent Foundation and ironically almost everyone told me don't do it Like almost everybody was like, don't do it, Pip. You've got an amazing thing here. Carry on growing it. But it really did come down to vision and values for me, which was we we had a joint vision, like day one wellness and wellbeing people. It's always been about empowering people to live their best lives for the longest. You know, our wording might have been a bit different, but but that was roughly what it was. And our values are are very, very much the same in that like integrity is so important. There's a lot of wellbeing companies out there at the moment that they'll say one thing, but they'll do a different thing you know the the actually in the organization there's not a culture of well-being and I think how can you go and to be selling well-being when there's not a culture of well-being or, or health there so yeah so for me it was just having those conversations and every time I'd have a conversation I would like Ben is a very very open and honest person as well and I do think it, it really helped the fact that Ben, if Ben didn't want to, he wouldn't need to work another day in his life. But he does. He he does because of the passion that he has, and I think that for me was a big one as well. Because there was a bit of me that I was like, I don't want to get caught up in a corporate thing that's going to turn this from helping people to making money. Obviously, I know you need to make money for it to be sustainable, but that's always been a, a very integral part to me. And and so, all of those things added up, and and equally my 
personal like life goals as well went in alignment with the merger so you know it gave me more financial well-being and security that, that I was looking for at this time in my life so I just think if anyone else is going through that kind of merger process I think those are some very very key things to come back to in terms of are your vision aligned and, and are your values the same so how have you found your almost day-to-day activities how has that adapted going from day one into well-being and going back to what you said there of like especially as as a female with your own sort of life goals have you now got to a point where you've got your own sustainable work environment there where something like having children is an option and you can still keep that sustained career with parenthood yeah absolutely so definitely yes to the second one uh, that, that's something that again it's that sustainability of our, like I'm, I'm employed now so although I'm still a partner in the business you know I was I still I have shares in the business same as I did with day one it's just I don't have 100% of the shares I, I have a percentage of them but equally I'm not the one at the end of the day like when it was day one wellness it was myself and then some subcontracted coaches so it was always you know I was the marketing the sales the you know I could never really fully switch off from it as much as I put quite strong for a self-employed person I put quite strong bound like like boundaries in there I couldn't really switch off from it and I don't even know how I would have managed um you know having having a raising a family and and continuing I'm sure I would have worked it out and so I don't want to put anyone else off that they you know is in that situation um and i know some incredible women who do work it out but for me that's just it's again i think it comes back to values like family is really really important to me so i want to make sure that when i am ready for that time that that then that value isn't then overshadowed by oh i've got to keep on doing this little bit of work so how is your day-to-day life or work as such how has that adapted and evolved going into well-being I, i would probably say um, it's very, very similar. It's just scaled up. So effectively, day one wellness was much more a B2C. It was a business to consumer. It was one-to-one coaching, small group coaching, that side of things. Whereas wellbeing people is B2B, it's business to business. So instead of me coaching one person, I'm doing workshops and webinars for for like larger groups. Um, and whether, you know, I still do some bits of one-to-one coaching, but that's more with then executives and, and the CEO or the, or the managing or the C-suite team. Whereas, uh, and then doing obviously lots of webinars and things like that. So I'd say... What I'm doing is still the same, but I guess just how I deliver it and how many people I deliver it to is is the thing that's changed. So you mentioned earlier about with all of this, your drive is in helping people and that's what you thrive on. So it sounds like it's quite an intrinsic value, but where did that drive come from? What is it that's motivated you to want to help people? Oh, good question. <laughs> so I think it probably goes one step a little bit further than helping people because when I was a personal trainer, I was helping people, but it wasn't really satisfying my kind of like deep inner purpose whereas I think the one step the slight step difference to it is uh, like I'm super passionate about empowering people and I guess that all comes down to ownership I think when you're helping people a lot of the time you're the person doing the work so people would come to me as a personal trainer and be like Pip fix me I want to lose <laughs> weight or I want to run this marathon tell me how to do it and hold my hand all the way through it and I wouldn't, won't be able to do it without you whereas the value that I'm really really passionate about is empowering people and I, and I guess if you if we're really going kind of there I, I would probably say it comes from from my mum I always joke that my mum's been my longest uh, client um, but for me it's about if I take my kind of old hat and, and try to personal train her and help her then I'm in that kind of mindset of there's something broken there I need to help fix it whereas I guess through my well-being coaching work like I, I kind of understand Uh, discovered an intrinsic belief that I think nobody's actually broken nobody needs fixing what we need to do is to just kind of peel back the layers as we go throughout our life and and we're just at that place and that's I guess the difference for me in empowering someone because you're giving them that like you might be giving them the blueprint and and a little bit of nudge along the way but they're the one doing the work and taking the ownership and and really that's for me where sustainable change comes from okay so it's a case of as you said there it's not about being the yeah so it's not about you it's not about you helping people it's about seeing that person become i suppose their full potential seeing them sort of take the training wheels off and live their life and actually gain their own passion their own love for life whatever it is and have that 
their own. So yeah. what's been, so on that subject, what would you say has been the greatest transition for you to see the greatest, yeah, the greatest transition you've seen someone undergo? Oh, oh, that's a very good one. Um, I guess the, physically or mentally or just, just generally? Let's do both, physically and mentally. Okay, so physically, um, I won't use names because obviously whenever I work with people, it, it's fully confidential, yeah. but physically, the person who always springs to my mind was this just this lovely, lovely lady. She was like so, just such an inspiration, but she was riddled with um, rheumatoid arthritis when, when she first came to see me. And um, and she literally was clinging on to her husband for dear life and kind of like walked through the walked through the doors. And we sat down, we had a, a, a initial consultation around like where she was with her well-being, her medication, all of those sorts of things. And so the program that we run is called the Recalibrate Wellbeing Program. And we took her through the program and she did um, little bits of exercise once a week as well, like with me when I was kind of almost wearing two hats where I was personal training and wellbeing coaching. And with her goal at the time was that she wanted to be able to walk up a flight of stairs without holding on to the um, banister. And uh, and after twelve weeks or so, um, she wasn't she wasn't letting go of the banister, but she was walking up the stairs. Whereas before, she like was struggling to even even get in through the door. And I remember on uh, some of our exercise sessions as well, where um, it was obviously a real. I mean, it was almost impossible for her to get down and up off the floor. And um, and we used this stability ball for her to basically sit on the ball, roll all the way down, um, to then get down onto the floor. And I remember the first time when I pushed the ball back up again. Her and I said you're going to be fine you're just going to do the same but in reverse and like we'd been working with her for a while and she did it and, and like sat up on the ball and it was just like you could just see this this kind of um I don't know this independence almost go through mm. her where she was like oh my god I can I can go down to the floor and back up again so so she really really like rings true to me because there was there were so many little milestones that that were just amazing to watch with her mentally Oh, there's been quite a lot. I'm, oh, I always don't want to do someone else a disservice by not telling them their story. Um, well, even the physical one, even the physical story still sounds like quite a mental breakthrough. And like one thing that just stood out to me was just hearing, like when you said physical, I was expecting this story of someone that went on this journey to become like an athlete or something. Whereas instead it's someone that it's literally things that we all do every day that we don't even realize. and we get frustrated at things that are even more complicated and it's someone literally getting down on the floor, getting back up again and being like full of elation just in that and feeling such accolade and being able to actually do that. Whereas for so many of us, it's just like, yeah, so, but yeah. That's, there's something really beautiful about that, that it's something and, that your physical thing is something so simple. Yeah, and I think really like that's again, like been a big part of, because I came through the fitness industry kind of door, I guess, as a personal trainer, what I saw was that health fitness and well-being gets used like interchangeably all the time right but actually when you break it down health and if we're looking at health care is really emergency health care that's like if you're in a car accident you've caught a virus you know whatever if you need that intervention and again it goes back to ownership because that then means that that gets outsourced right if you're in that place where either you've had a lifestyle disease that gets to a point where you go okay i, I need to go and get some intervention that's what healthcare is then on the other side you've got fitness and fitness is obviously for those athletes for those people wanting to run marathons wanting to get in their bikini on instagram whatever it is but the majority of the population sit in the middle of that so they sit in the then they don't need health care and um, that emergency health care but they might not quite like feel confident enough or, or want to get involved in fitness and so that's where i was like well this is where this is where like the real help needs to be because you know the world health organization this is i was delivering a uh, webinar the other day and obviously covid has been all over the news we we all know about that but in the last year so from january to january there's been around about 1.8 million deaths across the world like for covid which is obviously horrendous awful but every single year 41 million people lose their lives 41 million lose their lives to non-communicable diseases so this means non-infectious diseases and the big four being heart disease, cancers, COPD, and type two diabetes. 
Now, not all of them, but the majority of them are preventable and reversible. Mm. And it's that gap of people that I'm like, that are really not getting a service at all that, that we're um, passionate about empowering. And obviously the workplace is one of the best ways to find these people. So when you, with that physical story, you talked about having like a, a big goal and then some smaller litter goals as well. How important do you think that is? Because a lot of people, they go, I've got this massive goal that I want to achieve. And then it's a struggle to achieve it. Do you think they should be, they should make they should break that down into the smaller goal to make it a bit more achievable? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we talk about them in terms of outcome goals and action goals. And the actual irony of, um, I guess, where I was learning about business is that business and well-being, there are quite a lot of similarities because a lot of it is around goal setting, right? It's goal setting, it's habit making, it's habit forming, it's routines, all of these sorts of things. So we recommend that people set themselves an outcome goal. And the key thing with an outcome goal is that you don't need to know how you're going to achieve it. Right, it, like when you start off at the beginning, don't worry about how you're going to achieve that. I remember going into the Kemp Foundation, this is my business brain going on, and going, right, what I want to achieve is I want to have this outdoor venue that really like it gets it, people exposed to outdoor exercise and all the elements of well-being and blah blah. I had no idea how I was going to do that. I don't ha- I don't come from a, a rich background. My my parents are very working class, so I I was definitely never going to get from the bank of mum and dad like, yeah, sure, you can set that up. Um, so so I was like, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I just went to the Kent Foundation, verbalised all of this, and they went, okay, cool. Um, and, and I think what's lovely about the Kent Foundation, I think what we do for just anyone who comes for our services is that there was no judgment. There was no like, oh God, you're a bit pie in the sky. You need to go and sit down and, and take a break and have a breather. It was like, okay, that's amazing. And I think that belief that if you can put that belief into somebody else and really listen to someone's aspirations and things, then that helps them to then go on to that next step. And then, like you said, David, you can then break those down into those action goals, which are more tangible and, you know, very, very um, like you can measure them and things like that. But all knowing that they're going in the kind of right direction of that overall outcome goal. So you mentioned, Pip, that when you were saying into like goal setting and everything, it, you realise it's so similar to business. And I've got, that has been the same thing for me. Like since going into business, my own attitude towards like mental wellbeing, mental health, emotional health, and just having that balance and even just looking at life and trying to take more control over how you feel about things on a day to day. It's just been like, they correlate so much. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It like blew my mind how just so much thing like, well, I think like a very entrepreneurial thing is to just be so obsessive and just have this like, as you say, like set, setting those goals and then building those action steps to achieving it. But it's not just about business. It's about, right, okay, that's, there's the element of that's the business I want to achieve. But then there's the element of this is the person I need to be in order to do that, to reach that goal. Yeah. I need to be this person. I need these actions. And to be the person to do that, I need these actions. So yeah. they do correlate really well. Definitely. I think, I mean, one of the main things that, that, especially when I do coaching with CEOs and executives and things, we often say that people fall into two mindset traps when it comes to personal well-being. So um, one of them is the success mindset trap. And entrepreneurs are, are very stereotypical to fall into that success mindset trap where it's like, I'll look after my well being once my business is successful which we all know you know it's very easy to fall into it you know even working in well-being every now and then I would get pulled into that um, when I was running my own business and the other one then is the carer's mindset trap which if you think more in terms of if you're a teacher or a nurse or a doctor or something then your mindset trap is I'll look after my well-being when x y or z is okay so it's always like what what i'll look after my family and then i'll look after myself and the thing that we know you know from just being a human being is that when you feel your own resilience your own energy your own vitality tank up first and you do prioritize your own well-being first well then it benefits your career it benefits your family it benefits all of the people around you and i think there's one thing that that you know i would give advice to entrepreneurs it would be invest in yourself first uh, you know even if it's just small things so even if it's just making sure that you do drink water throughout the day that you do go and have a break from your screen and go nice <laughs> go and have a break from your screen and go out for a walk or you know <laughs> all, all of those things but a 
again, it's habit forming, isn't it? So, mm. so it's then setting it's setting that environment up for success. And um, and f- for me, it's been lovely that it's like those are the things that I preach. And as soon as I started to put them into practice, I actually put a post up this morning around how important it is to make sure that you book your holiday at the beginning of the year, and uh, so that then you actually do go on it. Um, and so when I was running day one. There was something that was really important to me. I wanted to go away for three weeks in my camper van. So at the beginning of the year, I was like, right, these three weeks, I'm going to put everything in place so that then I don't have to check emails, don't have to do anything. I'm going to go away for three weeks in my camper van. And I made it happen because right at the beginning of the year, I'd planned it in. So everything I was doing, it was to then make sure that I would have that cover over those three weeks. And I think as a business owner, it's a great experiment to do with your business because actually then it means that you put systems in place. You write procedures that then you can hand over to other people to look after your business whilst you're not there. And all of these things mean that you are scaling your business. And it's ironic that the years that I took the biggest breaks were the ones that I often then kind of like um, made the most progress in in my career i can definitely echo what you're saying there like when you talk about i've never achieved a three-week break but <laughs> i've done week breaks yeah but just yeah I, the more i've taken well i've not taken a lot but yeah the first week break i took was like complete chaos and then the second time <laughs> the year later it was like still chaos but then i've now got to a point where i can do it and it works well but yeah, as, as you said there, like by actually taking that week break, you learn so much from it. Yeah. Cause, well, and as well, if things go wrong, then you learn what going wrong. You learn what you you learn what you're doing wrong because it manifests in such an obvious way. Definitely. And it's just a massive teaching tool. And also, I find I can have the biggest brainwaves when I'm off on holiday, just walking in the middle of nowhere with like my girlfriend and stuff. Suddenly, I'll be like, oh. <laughs> business revelation and then that just annoys her because I stopped thinking about the holiday <laughs> so the irony behind that is that the actual biology behind that is that when we're in so most people have heard of their fight or flight state when they're stressed mm. when we're in our rest and digest state when we're actually kind of like allowing our body to, to rest and recharge and it's called your parasympathetic nervous system mm. When we go into that state, that's when our brain is actually best at problem solving and creative thinking. So you won't be alone in the fact that our best ideas come to us when we're out walking in nature or when we're riding a bike or when we're on holiday. And and that's why it's so, so important, because by allowing our body to have that break and to and to discharge from all of that and to I call it playtime, go on to playtime. Um, well, then, you know, you're going to continue progressing because you've got then that creative energy and that passion and I guess I was also seeing the flip side of that because often CEOs business owners come to me after 10 20 years of never taking a holiday and they're coming to me because they're burnt out and they're frazzled and and you know they're they're now having to really start rebuilding their health and putting it back together so as someone that's gone from being in your own business to then merging as part of another company so where you said you're employed now but then you're a partner as well so have you how does your mindset work around hot? So when I, well, I've only ever been employed for three months, but the idea of going on holiday to them was just like, walk out the door and be like, it's not my problem. I'm an employee, like whatever, whatever happens at work doesn't matter. But as a business owner, you obviously feel a lot of responsibility and having employees, I, I almost feel guilty when I go away or even if I'm at home, if I do something leisurely during the day or or go on holiday for a week when I know the guys are working. I have this like overwhelming guilt where I'm like, I'm responsible for them, I'm looking after them, and I don't want them to think, oh, I'm here doing all the work while Hayden's off having a holiday, even if it is once a year. But how has your own mindset worked there going from business owner to partner, employee, yeah, so I guess probably I'm using it. So I guess my title is director, right? I'm, I'm the wellbeing director. So so I guess the, the key thing with it is, um, I guess it all comes down to culture, right? That my team, I actively, I guess because integrity is such a strong value for us at wellbeing people, we actively encourage people to make sure they do book their holidays and take their holidays. So I think one of the things that, again, when when I do leadership training and things that I talk about is the fact that your actions speak louder than your words. So if my team never saw me taking a holiday, there would be, they would then feel that guilt of, oh, maybe I shouldn't be taking a holiday because actually Pip doesn't take holidays. You know, same as if my team see that I'm always sending emails at 10 o'clock at night, 
they're going to feel like they're supposed to be doing that. And so, so for me, it's about leading by example. And then, and then that way, as long as it's true to, you know, your, your core values, your business's core values, then, then hopefully you shouldn't, you shouldn't have that disconnect where then you feel that guilt because, you know, yeah, I know what you're like, Hayden. So, you know, you're building a, a company that, that is, is being integral and, and is looking after their employees and wanting to do all of those things. So, so hopefully that will set you free a little bit and you can have a holiday without any guilt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you've helped me there. That's giving me a good mindset. I'm, I'm doing well by my employees by going on holiday. <laughs> I like that. So on, on the subject of holiday, because one thing that I've sort of learned about companies that have, and I just the idea of achieving it or doing it or putting it in place is a very nerving thing, but I want to get your thoughts on unlimited holiday. So obviously yes. there's companies that offer unlimited holiday. Yeah. So as long as you obviously employees have their targets and everything, get them done. But what's your thoughts on unlimited holiday for employees? Yeah, I think obviously it depends on on the job and the company and and uh, and that side of things. I personally think it's a little bit of a fad thing, um, just because I, I think for some it does work okay, um, but. Equally, I think what happens is when you say unlimited holidays, sometimes people, people's natural thing, I mean, I know at work, I have to constantly remind people to take holiday. So I think the intention looks like, oh, this is a lovely perk that we do for our team, blah, blah, blah. But the expectation in a lot of companies is that, yeah, don't take too much holiday. So so that way, then it's like, well, you're offering unlimited holiday, but actually you don't expect people. You know, it's like there's lots of companies where it's like, your your contract says 40 hours of work but we actually expect you to work 80 hours of work you know so so i think it's um i think sometimes it puts a, a horrible pressure on the employees to decide what is that right level and sometimes mm. it's nice to have that black and white you know it's almost like when you went to school it's nice to not know what you have to think to wear you just put on your school uniform and you you to like take that out of the equation you don't have to work out the social politics of all of those sorts of things so i think it depends on the culture obviously mm. and the values and things like that but i think it's one to definitely be wary of is that you're then like the the business would then be putting that pressure onto the employees because if you've got someone in one department who takes 30 days and then someone else in another department that takes 10 days does that person get resentment and if so then then you're not creating a great environment i was That's, thinking of it from like another angle as well where if you got on if, if you got like a set amount of holiday you're like right i need to use this holiday i'm going to book these times up whereas if you got unlimited holiday you might not take as much as you mm. normally would because you know, I've got unlimited, I'll, I'll book that later. It, yeah. it will roll, I don't have to worry about it not rolling over to next year, that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think, I think you know, every every culture, whether we like it or not, uh, or every business, sorry, whether we like it or not, has a culture. And I just think, you, same as like with our life, right? Yes, I better to have a culture by design rather than default because it's going to happen whether we like it or not. And it's just about okay, creating that environment to support people to, to really thrive. So... You know, at Wellbeing People, for instance, when everyone was in the office, we would actively encourage them to go out for 10 minute walks. And you would often see the MD, the sales director, myself going out for walks so that then everyone knew, OK, this wasn't just a thing they said. Like, this is actually accepted. If you need some time away from your screen, you go out for a walk. So so I think it's just about then, yeah, whatever you you put in place you think about all of those ramifications to go is this going to build the culture that we want Pip I want to learn a bit more about your own working practice so have you got a particular favourite or preferred person group company to work with oh okay so in terms of like who yeah, I'm so, coaching yeah or so like you're coaching the, well coaching webinars everything you do within your within the, your service have you got a yeah, favourite group of people favourite type of company is it the good companies the bad companies the ones that are <laughs> So, um, I mean, I would definitely say that because it's almost like my baby, the thing that, that I brought across from day one into Wellbeing People, any form of delivering the Recalibrate Wellbeing program, I love. And so we either deliver that um, like in a webinar series, which we did for like the pension fund and we do for large organizations where it's it's a week on week series. It's really, really interactive and lots of people like join it. But the key thing with it being week on week and whether there's a gap or whatever is that then it drives accountability because every week we get them to go oh did you do we call them one percent progress experiments did you do your one percent progress experiments what did you find about it and i guess the key thing with that which kind of comes back to some of your other points is that 
because we don't learn through experiences, we learn through reflecting on experiences. That's why I love anything that's sequential. So I, I love like the, the program because it means that I get a chance to help people to reflect on what they've learned from the week before rather than, you know, keynotes and things like that are all great, but it's like a, you're only seeing them that one time and you might inspire them, but we all know if we don't act within 24 hours, then that inspiration's gone. Mm. So so I, I like anything that's sequential and, and that then I can check back in with someone and, and see that progress. It's like just a, yeah, I feel very thankful that every day I get to do something where, where I get to see people progress in their life because you know, you upgrade your well-being and, and like we said kind of earlier, it's like it upgrades your career, your relationships and, and you really see people start stepping into their full potential. With that, what's the closest you've ever come or have you ever come close to it where you've had a client or clients and gone through that process and started a programme and gone, do you know what, they're beyond help. <laughs> <laughs> so I've definitely had... Um, I've definitely had challenging clients, right? I'm, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie about that. I don't think that um, any coach or personal trainer or anything on the planet wouldn't, um, wouldn't agree the same thing. But I guess, again, what shifted for me was when I, I took away this thing of I was the person that needed to fix this other person. And as soon as I dropped that, and as soon as I realized that actually, if I can articulate my expectations to this person, you know, this is what the program is and blah, blah, blah. And, but more importantly, if I can fully understand their expectations, that's where then any frustration like dropped away because exactly like you kind of mentioned Hayden, you know, my lovely lady who she just wanted to walk to the top of the stairs. If I then took that and was like, right, okay, the next client, I'm gonna see if I can get them to walk to the top of the stairs and actually what they wanted to do was run a sub three and a half hour marathon then expectations are like completely on different pages so so for me it's about really making sure that the expectations are right and um and I think as I got more confident as a coach and things uh, I was able to really understand whether I'd be a good fit for someone or not and and if not then on that initial consultation I, I would say to them look I'm, I'm not the right person for you I think what you're really looking for is personal training or or you need a dietitian or whatever and and then I would refer off to to someone else because again collaboration I think a lot of people are scared of it but from my experience the more I've collaborated with people and the more experts that I've kind of surrounded myself by it's just lifted me up and it's it's meant that I have all of these contacts that it means that if Mm. I don't know the answer I know where to go and find it or I know who I can refer on to go and get it. I think it shows a lot of integrity as well in having a situation where you think where you can identify and say, right, this isn't for me to help, this is for somebody else. And being able, as well, it's just gonna be so much better and probably more advantageous for both parties just to be able to say that we've done what we can, you're better off now moving on to this person because they specialize in what you're gonna struggle with and they'll be able to help much more. Definitely. And I think, you know, again, I keep on saying the same thing, but it comes back to that whole thing that if my core belief is that I want to empower people to live their best life, then one of the things that I might need to do is get out of the way and and let them go and find (laughs) someone else. (laughs) That's true. With yourself going through the, well, the dreadful year of 2020 that most of us had, how how did you find it? As someone in wellness that coaches people on exactly this, how did you go through lockdown especially now we're in lockdown like free how's that been for you so this is really interesting because i've been talking to a lot of people about this recently just because um and my view might be very controversial so sorry if you get any backlash on this but (laughs) my um with lockdown i have really enjoyed it if i'm being completely honest i've i've really enjoyed it now i haven't had anyone close to me pass away i haven't i haven't had any trauma that some people have had i've continued working a lot of the time i've still even gone into the office because no one else is in the office and and i'm always nervous if i'm at home that my internet connection is going to go out when i've got 400 people on a webinar so so it nerves me i'm actually in the process of moving house as well hence why i'm in a little box room so i've actually really enjoyed it and i think what worries me ever so slightly is that lots of other people i know have shared similar views to me i know some some people are like, I actually had a really lovely Christmas this year and I've had, you know, some great times in lockdown. And I think what worries me is that anytime we talk about lockdown, we preface it with, oh, how have you survived this year? Or how have you got on this year? And and, and I just think it's almost caused a, a, a social dilemma where people feel guilty to say, 
I've actually done all right. I've enjoyed some time off. I've enjoyed not having to commute into London and and do all of these things. And I, and I think I was told a long time ago when I was going through it, like quite a lot of stuff, I was told Pip, darkness can't survive in the light. And I think what worries me is that we're almost feeding more darkness that I think actually... If you are in the dark, then please reach out, ask for help. You know, if lockdown's been a struggle for you and you're struggling in any sort of way, then reach out for help. But if actually you have got a flicker of light, then I would almost encourage you to go, you know, light someone else's candle. Don't feed their darkness. So for me personally, I've really enjoyed lockdown. I've I've had lots of really quality time with my other half. I've met people for walks. Often I really hate the fact that you end up having to go from dinner date to this and to that. And it's like now I get to be outside and go for a walk with people rather than drink loads of alcohol or coffee and have to gorge on things. So, so for me, lockdown's worked really well because I've got to go on lovely hikes with some of my friends and and um and lots of positive things now i'm not saying that my life's been all rosy for for the last year but yeah it's i've got to be honest that, that it's not been a struggle for me i i was really really lucky because i literally got out to japan and that was like my big bucket list holiday that was like my celebration to myself for merging and things like that literally just before lockdown happened so so um i almost feel like i did get a holiday last year as well so so um so yeah i, I really can't complain last year for me i got out to japan i bought a new house and uh, and I got to deliver and, and empower lots of people and um, and talk to people about well-being so for me it was like it was a great year. I've got to say you certainly answered that I think in the best way somebody in the well-being sector could you focused <laughs> on all the positives on it and just went on about yes there's negatives <laughs> but just focus completely on what you could have done to be so positive and as you said yeah definitely there's been some opportunities and being able to just actually appreciate going for a walk and not having a commute and Personally, for me, one of the most amazing things I saw was just going for a walk. And obviously, when you go for a walk, you just like compare it to when you're walking through like London City, you walk through and there's almost this awkward atmosphere of like you can't make eye contact. Whereas yeah. when you, so, as soon as you start walking on grass, it's like, oh, afternoon, morning. Yeah. And I had, I had a woman that walked past this like, little old lady and I, she had so much life and so much joy in her. She was just, oh, afternoon, hello. And I'm like, you're on a walk in like the middle of nowhere and you could not be happy right now. I just think, oh, yeah. if only the world was full of more people like that. But Absolutely. But I think, and I, I think that's what always worries me a little bit is that that lovely spirit right on lockdown one, that came out, you know, mm. I had cards through my door saying, if you need anything, like here's our number. I did the same to lots of my neighbours. Obviously everyone was going out clapping for the NHS and I just, feel like lockdown two was a little bit more cynical and now lockdown three has got like sort of feeling and I just think actually if we can you know like I said you know light someone else's candle and almost bring Mm. that community spirit back a little bit more then we will get through it you know there is an end in sight and uh, and hopefully then we'll be able to reflect on the lessons that we've learned and uh, and come out stronger together yeah as you say I think you're definitely right with lockdown three people are just getting exasperated with it all and are quite frustrated but that's definitely given me some inspiration to think more about, as you said, lighting, lighting someone else's candle and bringing some light to people. So how do you think, obviously we've been in the wellness sector, this has locked down the pandemic and everything, done a lot for wellbeing people and changed how you go about business and how you see the future? Yeah, definitely. So. I guess the the biggest thing for us was that, um, like I said at the beginning, well-being people before um, merged with me, what our thing was, um, <laughs> it's their thing. I have to get confused because obviously I'm R now, but they're them. So their um, main thing was the interactive health kiosk. And, and that was around about 70% of our revenue. And these are basically big kiosks that you always see, like similar to the ones you'll see in Boots and things like that. Um, but they're really interactive and they're obviously non-judgmental because it's a machine and we used to put those into organizations where then people can you know have this non-judgmental way where they can go and measure their well-being so we have a unique algorithm on there called the well-being age and it's a real light bulb moment because if you step on a piece of machinery i'm 31 if i step on a piece of machinery at 31 it says your biological age is 31 but your well-being age is 56 then i'm gonna go whoa i need to do something (laughs) about that so it's a really really lovely metric because it's not like bmi where people like oh well, what's the good range and the bad range and obviously that's all about weight whereas well-being age really is focused on your longevity but the issue we had with lockdown is the fact that um that obviously 
offices are closed and um, a lot of people then don't want an inter interactive machine where lots of people are touching it so pretty much overnight 70% of our revenue was like done so the big pivot for us has then been and I guess again the the highlight the, the good bits that's come out of it is that before that we were obviously trying to deliver the recalibrate well-being program um, we'd been delivering it online but a lot of barriers were like oh well you know how's the technology going to work not sure how we're going to do the these like calls and things well as soon as lockdown came in everyone's very au fait with zoom teams <laughs> whatever you want to use so so now you know so it means that actually that barrier has been taken away because when we say yeah we do virtual coaching calls for groups of six or we do webinars or whatever then it's like yeah everyone knows how to do it and we don't have to almost educate on that barrier so so i would see this year as us being um, doing an awful lot of coaching and and i think it's needed as well you know like we said it's, it's about reflecting and then helping people with those habits and the big thing with well-being is that it is complex but it doesn't need to be complicated and and that's what having a coach helps people to do it's like it helps people to to really see right well where should i be making that investment of my time to then get the best results so um so that's what we do throughout the program i love how in one moment where you're talking about the such positives of lockdown and the pandemic and how like you don't you almost shy to say but it's been really positive and really good for you but then five minutes later we're discovering that 70 percent of the company's revenue had been like almost put on hold instantly and you're like oh yeah it's great time <laughs> okay so this is the difference though of um of me running day one wellness and me um, in my role now because now all I, like i'm not involved obviously in the numbers at all because that's my weakest thing so we have an amazing like a uh, finance director who deals with all of that and so my key priority is make sure that the clients who are buying stuff you deliver a, like amazing service to and so for me it means that i'm i'm one step removed from that stress so although i jump in on on our well, not jump in although i attend our senior leadership team meetings you know that that metric i'm not responsible for i'm responsible for the lovely one at the end where it's like marketing have done their job sales have done their job operations have set me up and all i have to do is turn up i often say that i'm i'm literally i'm the striker in the team so it's like i get all the credit but it's like actually it's the team that have done all of this amazing work um, and and have meant that they've taken that stress off me so all i have to do is worry about kind of passing it into the goal so what one thing i want to ask is what advice would you give with your expertise in well-being industry as a small to a small business to anyone listening that has got their own company that started up and they're very much at the start of their journey and they've started to go out into the big leap of employing people and want to create a great business they want to impact people and create a great work environment for, for a business owner in that situation that hasn't got a, a, a pot of money to really invest in giving their, their staff a great experience and there's not a lot that they can offer how would you advise someone starts how do you begin giving someone a great career without having that resource yeah absolutely so i would definitely say that this is a, one thank you so much for asking that question um but actually the foundational thing that you can do for well-being is totally free and i think that's the that's the best thing that, that we can really empower people to to do and that's because if you um give your team a voice and that one of the easiest ways you can do this is by making sure that religiously you send a yearly or by year like biannually survey um, with some things and we can send some stuff um across to, to give some people some ideas of what questions to ask and things like that if you send this survey and then you truly listen to the answers that that your team are giving you and you really take them on and then you communicate back to them you know the overall view of the survey what the feedbacks come back with and and what the plan is to then work on that and then give them an update before you do the next survey really when it comes to well-being the simplicity of well-being is it's how are we feeling right mm. it's it's how are we feeling and if we have physical pain that might drive mental pain if we have mental pain that might drive physical pain if we have emotional pain that could drive both but if we can as human beings just think about okay well what would make me feel great and one of the simplest things we can do is to really listen to people and and to just give them that space to then go do you know what i'm frustrated about and it, and it might be anything, right? It might be absolutely anything. By giving them that platform, and I always, with my team, I always ask them, how are you feeling today out of 10? Right? Not every single day, but if I just feel like they're really, really struggling or, or, or maybe sometimes just not, just what's a random, you know, I'll just throw a random question. 
And the reason I ask them out of 10 is because then it means that they have to score it for themselves. So, so you know, it's not just like a throwaway, how are you today? It's like a, how are you out of 10? Because something doesn't look right or, or, you know, something along those lines. So that then if they say six, I can go, okay, is there anything you want to talk about? Is there something I can, I can do to help? And I think the, the line that people are most worried about is that, is is almost becoming nanny state where it's like well I, i'm you know it's not my job to to parent my employees which it definitely isn't but what it is is it's really important that the organization realize that it's their responsibility to create an environment for optimal well-being and then it's the individual's responsibility to take ownership for their personal well-being so so i'll never spoon feed my team but what i will do is kind of help them to flesh out how they're feeling and then throw the question back to them and go okay Okay, so what do you feel you could do to, to you know, improve that score and, and to help you improve your well-being? And they'll come out with the answers because, you know, they're the ones who know the answers. So I would definitely say surveying your team. If you do notice someone struggling, then ask them, how, how are you out of 10? But then the third one is how you how you do meetings. So one of the things that I've brought to well-being people is that at the beginning of every meeting, before we kick off, everyone shares either a win, learn or share. So a win might be something that's gone really well and that could be in their personal life or their or their professional life. And this has been proven to deepen connection and trust. And if you deepen connection and trust straight away, you improve well-being because we're all social beings. So, so it could be like, oh, my win is my kids cooked me pancakes this morning. Great. <laughs> you know, then straight away I've got that connection with someone because I'm like, oh, that's lovely. Their kids did that. You know, there, there's a different sort of level of connection. A learn might be then you know, oh, this went really, really badly, but this is what I learned from it. And straight away, then you're helping them to develop a growth mindset. So rather than it being like a win or lose, it's a win or learn. So then someone can share something that went, this did not go how I expected, but what we've learned from it is. Um, And then the final one's a share. And, you know, I've been in meetings where people have just gone, I think mine's a share today. I'm just going to share with you. I'm really not in a good place in my relationships. My head's a little bit out or like out the place at the moment. And so then what always happens is we go, okay, cool. Like, do you want to take a pause now and have a conversation or are you happy to do the meeting? And so then again, it means that then you've not got someone just sitting on a Zoom call or in a meeting that's like their minds elsewhere because actually, you know, that's no good to them and it's no good to the business. That's a really good idea. I've taken so many notes based on that. And I love, <laughs> I love the giving, getting people to give a score out of ten because, like as you said there, when people just that question of like, oh yeah, how are you? Like so many times, I, I just found it so strange when you like see a mate where you just like, oh you're right, how's it going? And people always say, yeah, not bad. How are you? Yeah, yeah. Not bad. The, the actual words of yeah, not bad. It's quite <laughs> negative. Like oh, I'm not bad. I'm not suffering. <laughs> but when you actually get people to say like out of ten, how are you? Then you really people. You, you kind of, you almost feel fraudulent and given a fake number. So yeah. you just kind of have mm, four, really. And yeah. that's such an opportunity there to open the doors and have that conversation. So I Definitely. have no that down. Nice. And it's real connection. And, and one of the things I do always start all of my five one-to-ones or anything like that with people, I'll always ask them that, that question. How are you today out of 10? Or um, do you want to rate your overall well-being out of 10 at the moment? Some think so, then it, it just means that I get an understanding of where they're at at the moment because... You might have known that I'm quite an excitable, energetic person. And if I bring that energy into someone who then isn't in that place, they're going to feel like they have to fake it to, to get to my level. Mm. So I, I want to make sure that as a as a leader and as a manager, that I'm understanding their needs before I start kind of um, influencing it. Amazing. So I think there are three very good tips there. Thank and you. So for a small business, that small business took on your advice and built up their team now and they think they want to invest, they've got a bit of money now, they can invest even more. How would a company get in touch with yourselves at Wellbeing? Yeah, so probably the easiest thing to do is to go to the Wellbeing People website. So it's literally www.wellbeingpeople.com. We have a contact um, form on there where then I think it goes to inquiries at wellbeingpeople.com if you wanted to email us directly. That, that would be the best place to grab us. And we're also on on Instagram, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. Um, but the I guess the, the members club, this secret exclusive ones um are on linkedin and facebook and if you just search well-being community um then that, those are where our groups are and, and we post things in there all the time that are, are much more to do with like self-reflection and, and things so that then if people do want those little kind of weekly reminders then then those groups are in there so i've got one final question i ask 
every every guest. What is one thing that's prevalent in the world today that you hope will be one bad thing that you hope will be eradicated in the future? Ooh. Oh, which one to pick? <laughs> okay, so, well, I'm going to have to say non-communicable diseases, right? Because like I said at the beginning, there's 41 million people that are losing their lives every year. But I, I think it goes hand in hand with, um, with climate change and, and global warming and things because... And it's funny because I started my career working with the Kent Wildlife Trust because um, they saw that there was this big thing with well-being and nature. And what I realised was that actually if people have got internal pain going on, so they've got that pain going on inside themselves, whether it's mental, physical or emotional, it's very hard to then see that bigger picture outside of us. And so I think for us to have that dramatic effect on climate change, I think actually we need to change our own climate first of all. So I think by by changing the, you know, the story on non-communicable diseases, it will have that natural impact on, on the environment as well. Again, you've answered that like a true wellbeing <laughs> professional. You've managed to fix the entire world with one thing. <laughs> so wildlife, the environment, <laughs> And our own personal well-being and disease, all in one answer. Brilliant. There you go. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for coming on, Pip. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, no, thank you guys very much. Thank you. That was a really great interview. Probably one of my favourites so far. What One thing I really liked about it was Pip always tries to put a positive spin on everything. And mm. one thing I found really interesting is her attitude towards the lockdown. I, was, I, I felt that a bit as well. I mean, obviously, it hasn't been as positive, but... You know, there's, there have been bits of the lockdown I've enjoyed. And sometimes you feel like you can't say that because, you know, a lot of people are suffering a lot more. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. You kind of feel... Cause I get the same thing about going out because, like, obviously with my industry, we can go out and about and follow regulations. And I, my life hadn't really changed. I was still running around and doing things. So I almost feel... You feel weird driving about and you have that weird sense of guilt. But yeah, and there's definitely been moments that I've enjoyed and I kind of think... So like as a company, we've done well and it's like, I don't want to say that. <laughs> no, but you should though because... Negativity breeds negativity and positivity Yeah, that's very true. Exactly. So if someone's having a really bad day and you went and you came out and said, oh, we've just hit this target. If they if they actually like you, then they'll be like, oh, that's great. <laughs> but, you know, it, it depends on the person, I suppose, because if the person is a negative person, then they'll see it as a slight against them rather yeah. than a, a, a gain for you. That's very true. And but that's one again going into like Pip's attitude just towards life in general. It's just about positivity. And there's always that silver lining. There's always a moment to enjoy and it's not about focusing on problems and ha like yeah we have problems but it's just and the way she goes about things like when she was saying about um being brought out and everything it's not about sitting in this corporate environment of like okay let's sit at the desk and talk through this it's like no let's go for a walk let's just experience a bit of nature while we're like going through everything and ironing out all the nooks and crannies and such it's there's something very natural and positive and just benevolent about yeah. it. Yeah, and, and and there's the the other side of it as well. Normally, when people get bought out, they they go, okay, yeah, I might just take a back seat a little bit more or something like that. But she she used it as an excuse to stop doing all the stuff that she doesn't enjoy mm. doing, the accounting, the management, that sort of stuff, and focus down on what she really does enjoy doing, which is the well being, which is is really good. One thing that other thing that stood out to me is celebrating the small wins which can be massive wins for other people yeah like um she was saying about the person that you know could walk up the stairs just something you take for granted every single day but mm, to someone such a else story that's like climbing a mountain probably even more satisfying like it's just just to be able to i've not had it but well i've had like injuries and stuff i haven't been able to walk but to have that bare necessity taken away from you and to get it back again the relief i suppose we're all going to experience it when we're allowed to like go and see people and hug them and shake hands and sit in a coffee shop and go how's life hi like <laughs> there's just going to be this new appreciation this love for it and this uh, this just sheer joy and almost adrenaline and just being able to do those things that we've been unable to do for so long but yeah it was such a beautiful story and just hearing that such positive raw emotion in something that as you said we all just take it for granted grantage grantage granted 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 not long we'll all be allowed out again hopefully <laughs> so 
if people want to tell us their favourite part from the episode, how can they do that? They can do that, Dave, by finding us on socials at Benevolent Business Podcast. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, and then you can reach out to both of us individually on LinkedIn. You can also email me at hayden.blinfield at hotmail.com. And if you really want to help us out, uh, if you can give us a review on wherever you're listening to the podcast, that will help us reach more people and enlighten more people about benevolent business. Exactly. But leave a good review. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, always positive. That's what we're all about. Positivity, positivity. Great. I'll see you next week, Aiden. See you next week. See you next week.